Welcome to Immigrants' Journeys. Imagine leaving your home country to settle in a foreign land. What would that feel like? How would you make the transition? And how might that experience change you? The guests on this show share their perspectives and opinions related to their immigrant journeys. Listen to find out what challenges they overcame and how they made the transition. This episode is part of a mini-series in which I interview different members of the same family. Frisia, at 18, leaves Western Pennsylvania and moves to Quebec, Canada for college. Six years later, she's completed her master's in chemistry and is planning the next phase of her life. Ironically, growing up speaking French at home didn't make the transition to Quebec as easy as she thought it would have. When she accepted Quebecois as being a different language from French, it allowed her to master it. The intro music is an excerpt from a song called Vibre de Verre, performed and written by Paris Combo. Produced by Alain Clouseau, Paris Combo, Source Universal Music Division, Polydor. During our conversation, Frisia recalled how growing up, she would wake up sometimes hearing a particular album that her mother would play. It's called Putu Mayo Presents French Cafe. This is one of the songs on it. I hope you enjoy it. To learn more about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm. Now, let's listen to Frisia's Immigrant Journey. Je me suis cassé les dents, les nez sur bien des affaires. De cœur trop pincé, de mœurs trop épicées, car pour me plaire, l'on doit me consumer. Mais demain, oui, demain, j'en fais le serment. J'ouvrirai les yeux, mes deux yeux tout en grand sur toi, en somme, mon bel amant. Toi qui as si m'attends tout en this is Santiago, your host for Immigrants Journeys, and Frisia, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, thank you for doing this. So, Frisia, you were born in French Guyana, is that right? I was. My parents lived there till I was about three. Do you have any memory of French Guyana? Honestly, I had a few kind of bits and pieces of mostly the weather and the beach. But I was able to visit to do some research a few years ago before the pandemic, and it all came rushing back. It was really an amazing experience because things I thought I had forgotten, like the smells and just the humidity and the culture and the food and everything like that. It was amazing to see that I felt really at home, despite being the first time I had been back since I was three. I asked Frisia if she remembered growing up in French Guyana. No, I don't really. I do have a lot of photos that I've looked through the years of me and some tribal daycares and kayaking through the Amazon to get to the villages and meeting lots of the local people and pretty much playing with any children that were there because <laughs> the general population is definitely more adults from France who come to work for a few years and then move back to France. So it's really just the local children that I ended up getting to know. And from what I can tell, it was very multicultural. My mom says that I had a Portuguese nanny, so I spoke a lot of Portuguese when I was little. I don't remember any of it. <laughs> I do have the sensation of just the community of it all because it was a third world and it's quite difficult to live in that climate. And it's definitely a smaller population. There was a huge sense of community. And I do find that that is something I search for even now when I'm looking at new places to live or 
new opportunities. That that sense of community is something that's been ingrained, which I think originates from French Guiana, for sure. You mentioned being a toddler and speaking Portuguese with your nanny. Once you moved to the U.S., I guess around three, did you grow up speaking French or English? What was the language situation there? Well, I only knew French when I moved to the States. And my mom and I moved before my dad. And we lived with my grandparents who only speak English. So I learned English pretty quickly. But one of my dad's, I guess not favorite, but most memorable stories is when he came to move to the U.S. a few months after my mom and I had been living here. I greeted him in English. And my father is entirely French speaking. So to him, it was quite a shock to see his three-year-old daughter speaking in a completely different language after only a month of living in the States. Did your parents speak to you French at home? Oh, yeah. That, that was a huge part of my childhood and my identity now. We primarily speak French at home. Believe it or not, my American mother, who spent most of her secondary education in France, was the one who pushed French at home the most. She made sure that we always had discussions and expressed ourselves in French. And we always went to French schools on Sundays for several hours, which as a teenager growing up was horrible and <laughs> was my least favorite thing. But now I'm really, really grateful now that I live somewhere that's so bilingual. It's been such a blessing to have that part of my life be so harnessed and well, I guess, cherished throughout my childhood. I'm really glad to hear you say that. I've interviewed several people that have the regret of not speaking to their children in a different language. And they always wonder, it's like, eh, you know, there's that trade-off, right? It's like, you know, is it kind of pushing it on the kids? Is that going to be good or bad? So it's really good to hear you, some positive feedback that, you know, you do appreciate all of that, <laughs> that your yeah. parents did. It, it took a while. I'm not going to lie. There were several years, especially in my rebellious middle school phase, where I felt like French wouldn't really be useful to me and it just felt more like a chore. But ever since I, I moved and I kind of reconnected with my identity a bit and what I as being important to me, I really reconnected with that sort of that part of me. And I've just been so grateful that I had a stepping stone so that now when I do want to maybe enter a professional workplace in French, I'm able to without as much anxiety or stress as I would have if I hadn't been able to practice at home. I know something definitely clicks. When I was growing up, I, there was only Spanish at home, but it was really kind of lax and there wasn't a lot of rigor. And it wasn't until I was a young teenager when a lot of my cousins, they started making fun of me because, you know, I either mispronounced things or I got the wrong tense of the verb or something. And the older generation would just kind of look at me like, hey, kid, you know, <laughs> doesn't even know how to speak. And I finally <laughs> got tired of it and something clicked. And I remember going to my grandmother and my mom and everybody and saying, my aunts and uncles say, I want you to correct me. I want to learn how to speak properly. And it was torture. It was a solid year of unlearning all those bad habits and I came through it and I felt, you know, like, wow, I, I have this whole nother language. And now I, I look back and really appreciate all the struggles. And now I do speak Spanish to my kids and, you know, push them a little bit. And I'm hoping someday, maybe it'll be in 10 years, <laughs> something will click like it did with you. And you're going to be like, yes, 
there's something to be said about wanting to speak correctly. I know that there's a lot of lingo that I don't quite understand in French when I speak specifically to my younger cousins and everything like that. But I think being the American family, our, the expectation of our grammar mistakes and just knowing conjugation and feminine versus masculine, there's kind of an added pressure to really have that down because there's, it's almost like you want to prove them that you're still French, even if you aren't living there. <laughs> I know what you mean. And it's interesting because you're part of a mini series because I've also interviewed your father, Denis, and your mother, Lisa. And so this is really great to get this almost 360 view of culture and how this has influenced all of you, you know, as a family. I'm curious specifically about you. Technically, you're an immigrant, right? You were born in a foreign country. You came when you were three years old to the United States. And you were still raised in yet a different culture, in a very French culture. And I'm curious how that upbringing has shaped your perspective in life. How do you see yourself as maybe being different than your peers because of this? Oh, that's a great question. It's definitely made me very resilient. Being someone who growing up definitely didn't fit with, I guess, media's portrayal, especially in America, of the American family. I remember growing up and kids would make fun of the food that I would bring for lunch, I'm sure, which is a very common comment you get from any immigrant child. And having to go to French school on Saturdays instead of going to sleepovers. And my English grammar is still, it's gotten much better over the years, but it's still a little bit iffy and I don't have the accents of where I grew up and everything like that. So it's definitely made me quite resilient and independent, I'd say. I had to figure out who I was and that tended to grow against the mainstream of wherever I was living first in the States and now in Canada. And I think that it made me realize that where you live doesn't necessarily have to be something that you have to overcome or you have to deal with in terms of if you're away from your culture. You can make your own uh, culture within your family, which I think was really a super important part. Pretty much we made our home so French, despite being in the middle of the United States. So we would find different farmer's markets that sold interesting French products, or we would listen to French music. And especially with the increase in internet expansion, having like French radio on our phones, and I, I listen to French podcasts, it's really cool that no matter where you live, if life takes you to a whole different country, you can learn cool new things about that culture and completely engross yourself in that new culture. But you can also keep a little bit of your own culture within your own home, which I think has really encouraged me to travel a lot more and spread my wings. And I don't feel as planted in one place with the fear of losing that part of me. It has definitely extremely shaped who I am today, for sure. I really like what you said, because on my personal journey, it was always weird going back to what you said, taking this food to school and you open it up and kids are like, ew, what's that? Or what's that exactly. smell? <laughs> and, and you kind of have almost like this shame, you know, that you're different. And I think as I got older, you start to explore and experiment with identity. You know, who am I? You know, what group of kids do I want to hang out with? What kind of music do I like? Because like I grew up with this kind of like weird music that none of my friends listened to. But then my friends have some really cool music that my family thinks is weird and like, where do I fit in? And so I really like 
kind of what you hit on with that exploration. And then later on, realizing this whole self-identity thing, right, where you don't have to fight it anymore. This is who you are. And you bring that into your home and you start from there. So speaking of home, you mentioned Canada. So now you are an immigrant again. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I moved to Montreal in, in Quebec in 2016 for my undergraduate studies. And I've been there ever since. I've completed recently a master's in Montreal and I'm going to start my profession there as well. And I don't really see myself leaving anytime soon. So it's been, it's been a journey. I won't say it was easy. It was definitely something that I don't know if I really had considered when I was 18 going for school. It's quite challenging to move to a new country, even if the country is only a hop, skip and a jump from where I was originally. And all things considered, the culture isn't that different between the States and Quebec. But the government aspect and just the difference in knowing that this is not where you have your passport and your citizenship, it all added an extra layer of responsibility, I guess, that I don't think I would have been able to handle if I wasn't already so used to that kind of additional fight that I had to do when I was growing up as well. Just like you said, every interest, every cultural aspect that you found so comfortable was maybe not exactly the same as everyone else around you. And so going through school was definitely an easier process. They made it much simpler to obtain both a study permit and move to the country. Um, I had one of those typical college experiences in a dorm for my first year. But after that, it was up to me to figure out apartment living and the typical notions of the city and figure out how to live on my own, but then also live in another country. So it has been challenging, but it has been so rewarding. And I'm so eternally grateful for the support from my parents and just that push to explore and learn about new cultures. I think it has helped me grow a lot in the time that I've been there. What prompted you to move from the United States to Canada? I wanted to work on my French. In my junior and senior year, I had this moment where I just to, like you said, I no longer wanted to make mistakes with my French. I really wanted to sit in with that part of my life because there's definitely a little bit of a struggle between not fitting in entirely in the States, but also not really fitting in in France as well because I'm such an amalgamation of, of both countries. So I wanted to go to a school that had that French aspect without maybe going too high of a level, like directly to France, where my writing and reading was not at the level of university. So I needed something in English that had that French aspect. And Montreal is the perfect alternative. It's also not super far from home. So if ever I needed to go home for anything like that, it wasn't a transatlantic flight. So it was this perfect in-between. And when I think about it now, it's so funny to me because I don't think about it as an in-between anymore. Montreal and Quebec itself is a whole different world than France and the States. And I think that that's something that a lot of people assume because they're bilingual and they're so close to America that perhaps it's just a mix between France and the States. But it's its own world, really. And it's been really exciting to discover that. Well, tell me more about that as an American being raised in a very French environment, going to Montreal, what were some of the things that you found very 
interesting, maybe even culture shock that you didn't expect? Yeah. Well, the biggest thing was the language. I walked in there very confident, thinking that my French would work perfectly in Montreal. And it turns out for the first, I think, three years, I had to speak English with any person I met because their their French was it's a whole different language. It's the same way. I guess it never clicked to me, but it's the same way when you go to England versus the States. It's completely different. And it's quite difficult to communicate if you aren't used to it. So the language was a huge culture shock and it definitely was something that I wasn't expecting, an added challenge, I guess, if you will, that I wasn't expecting. Yeah, absolutely. Aside from the language, I wanted to know what else Frisia picked up on as being different from what she was used to. Well, first of all, the money aspect. Having to worry about coins now is definitely something that I've had to learn. It's a learned skill because... In the States, you throw away quarters, it's no big deal. But if you throw away a toonie, a $2 coin, that adds up after a while. So not being, I guess, ashamed of paying for things and only coins was definitely something I'm still getting used to to this day and having really, really heavy wallets (laughs) with all the coins and everything. And what about the cold? I'm always astounded with the energy that specifically Montreal people have in the winter. The winter was definitely something that I had to learn to deal with, given that I wasn't used to minus 40 degree temperatures and just the absurd amount of snow. So seeing people, I don't know, cross country skiing in the streets. And a lot of times you see parents pulling their kids on sleds to get to school and just this joy for life where they feel that because winter is so long, you might as well just deal with it and enjoy the time that you have. That's constantly a shock to me, and it constantly pushes me to maybe brace the elements a bit more than I would expect. I had recently interviewed Pia from Norway, and she has a great quote, because she says in Norway, it's, they're very outdoorsy. And in Norway, they have a saying that says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad clothing. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I had to, when I first moved, they actually had a class for all international students to learn how to dress for the weather. (laughs) So it was me and all the other international students learning about the proper winter coats and winter boots and everything like that. (laughs) One thing you mentioned, you know, we touched on it earlier was food, you know, as far as like taking weird food and stuff to school. I was curious, what French foods do you miss that you grew up with? And do you get those in Quebec? Gosh, there are so many. I have a a whole list. Well, so the area that my dad is from, I'm sure you guys have talked about this extensively on his episode, is the Northwest area. So Bretagne or Brittany. And they're very hearty people. Their food is potatoes and butter. And all of their desserts are very butter-based. And I think that's something I miss the most. The butter cookies, the, the desserts that my dad would make with the almond paste and just lots of really beautiful pastries that I kind of got spoiled and was able to eat throughout my childhood. And they do have some French pastries. And it is really nice to have like shops where they make fresh bread, which I didn't normally see in the States. So you definitely have that aspect of appreciation for food, which is something that I really missed that we had growing up. But there's just something to be said about that specific part of France that's so special to me because that's where my heritage is. And I don't really find that very represented in the the food. 
as much as just baguettes and cheese and the typical French things that you find. Do you make some of this stuff at home yourself? Oh my goodness, Santiago, I'm the worst chef. <laughs> my dad and I, during the pandemic, we, we attempted to make an apple pastry called a Marilou together. But I lived in a very, very tiny apartment. So trying to make a dessert that supposedly feeds 10 people, it's about the size of my torso, in this tiny kitchen was definitely a challenge. And I do remember having to use a wine bottle as my rolling pin. So we attempted to make it work. But in the grand scheme of things, no, I have not been able to cook very much to appease that. But that's hopefully something I'd like to maybe do in the future and make my grandmother proud and hopefully, hopefully start doing some stuff myself. What about American food now that you're in Canada? Is there any American food that you miss? I really miss barbecue. And I don't know if it's because I live in a city, so I don't have a balcony and I don't have a lot of outdoor space to do that. Or if I'm a student and I just haven't really thought outside the box in ways that I can do that. But my dad makes the most amazing barbecue, just burgers and sausages and just the taste of the charcoal grill. I really, really miss that. And I'm sure I could find some solution. But as of right now, that's definitely something I miss a lot. Yeah, especially like on the the three-day weekends, like the 4th of July, Memorial Day, Labor Day, all those kind of American holidays. That's when the barbecues get fired up. Yeah. Oh, and on another thing I miss is Thanksgiving. In Canada, specifically, their Thanksgiving is in October. So the time off that I would get from school was in October rather than in November when the Thanksgiving is. So I didn't have a Thanksgiving meal for about six years. And I really missed not only the food, but just the gathering everyone to celebrate what they're thankful for and just having delicious turkey and gravy and potatoes covered in cheese. <laughs> and sweet potatoes covered in marshmallows and all that. Kind yes, of crazy all stuff. that good stuff. The cranberry sauce that looked like the can it came in. Yes. <laughs> How does Canadian Thanksgiving differ from American Thanksgiving? Well, it's been really interesting as someone who for essentially their entire adult life has been living alone in another country. It's been really interesting to figure out how to do holidays on my own. It's not really something I thought about that. I guess that is another challenge I never really considered. It's just trying to find your own family aspect in a new country and celebrate those traditions, but maybe in a new way. I know that Recently, I've started having friends over for Thanksgiving and celebrating my American Thanksgiving as their token American friend. But I think in terms of Canadian Thanksgiving, I don't know if I have the experience to tell you what it's like because I've never really been to one. I would assume that it's pretty similar, but considering I have no family in Canada, I guess I never got invited, which <laughs> sounds sad, but it's fine. I have friend Thanksgiving all the time. Hearing Frasia talk about not having experienced Canadian Thanksgiving made me wonder how she develops her own community. As an immigrant to Canada who moved there at the age of 18 to, to work on her studies, now she's completed her master's degree and is transitioning out of school life. How does one establish a sense of community in a foreign land? I can tell you that it was really hard to find that community because originally I wasn't sure how long I was staying. I knew it was four years, but 
when you're studying, you make school friends, but you really focus all of your time on studying. And I, I chose some pretty hard majors and minors. So I really spent all of my time in school. So that aspect, it was more school friends, but I, I transitioned to my master's and I realized that I would be in Canada for another few years. I really had to push and kind of step outside my comfort zone. So I, I did so by doing joining a lot of sports. I, I really love sports and I love the community that it brings. So I played Frisbee with a group of people between 60 and 18. So it was really fun to make friends of all ages in that way. And I obviously made friends at work slash school when I was doing my master's. But there's a lot of times where I just had to show up and hope that I could meet some interesting people. I joined the YMCA, so I made some interesting friends with the people that are at the YMCA and French classes and some French events that I went to to find fellow French people in Quebec. I made some connections there, but it was definitely an interesting challenge that led to a lot of inner, I guess, confidence building. (laughs) Because it's not easy to step out and realize that you have to make the effort to make the connections and the friends. And that was definitely a huge lesson I learned. But I think now I'm much more comfortable reaching out to someone or doing new experiences like this, for example, and just always keeping an open mind that you could connect with people in any kind of setting. What kind of advice could you give someone who, like yourself, is coming to Canada for the first time they're not sure how long they're going to stay, et cetera. So what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, that's a really good question. I think the coolest thing about Canadians is how open they are. Obviously, I'm a foreigner from the United States, so the language barrier isn't nearly as bad, but they've always been incredibly open, especially when I speak to some of my other international student friends. They're always open to new people and new cultures. And so I think really just not being afraid to put yourself out there and not be embarrassed, finding ways to fulfill whatever you feel like you're missing from moving abroad, whether that be, in my case, the sense of community. So I started um, joining sports or if it's music, there's tons of music opportunities. And also there's a lot of amazing programs. What I didn't realize is that The government of Quebec really, really works hard to help new immigrants like incorporate themselves into the culture. So those French classes I was telling you about, they offer free French classes to whoever wants to take them. They have tons of other programs helping you learn how to brace the winters and things like that. So I think the biggest advice was just be to have an open mind and try to find what you're interested in. And if you are feeling homesick, there is definitely a pocket of people who feel the same way and trying to navigate and find those people. So there's no real embarrassment or fear in missing what isn't there. Why not make it for yourself or find others and try to find your little sliver of wherever you're from that is in Montreal. Do people pick up on your accent at all, whether it's when you speak English or French, and what is their reaction? Typically, the openness I'm getting is from definitely people who are already quite kind. Like a lot of the times people I speak with are the people in the university who are very used to international guests and sports. Generally, it's a very positive atmosphere. But when I do speak French, there is a hesitation for sure. I know that the history of Quebec is very not anti-France, but they definitely want to show that they're independent to France because 
as I mentioned before, a lot of the times the expectation is that they're exactly like France. They're just a mix of the United States and France, but they're actually their own, their own culture. They have their own history and their own accents, their own funny vocabulary differences and everything like that. So um, speaking with a French accent has been interesting to say the least. It's definitely raised a lot of eyebrows and primarily with certain police officers and things like that, it can cause a little bit of tension just based on that divide between what they consider to be Quebecois versus France. And personally, I haven't experienced anything too negative, but I do know that that is something that could risk happening if you do speak with a French accent. So that's interesting. It's not that you have an English accent speaking French, it's that you have a French from France accent speaking French. <laughs> yeah, it's the first time in my life that I've gotten that comment. So it was definitely an ego boost as someone who has been working really hard with her grammar and her accents and conjugation and mistakes and everything. So I take it as a badge of honor, but obviously someone who is trying to be Quebecois, sometimes that can be a negative point. It's taken a while. It took about three years to understand Quebecois, but I've I think I've got it down now. It's, but it's always interesting. My mom came to visit me a few months ago and her French is impeccable. It is just perfect. And she had a really hard time understanding people. And it brought me right back to when I first moved because it's so funny. You're speaking the same language, but it's really not the same language at all. And so you have this moment of, oh, whoops. <laughs> and then, and then you got to switch to English. Did you translate for her from Quebecois to French? Yes. I think it's just the speed at which they talk is, and if you're not used to the accent, it can get kind of hard to differentiate what, what's being said. But it was very humorous to understand both aspects and then just see them both stare at each other with light faces because the communication wasn't there. <laughs> so I was definitely the translator during the visit. I think that also has to do with personality. I know Elisa... And she likes to be very precise and she spends so much time and effort in her life perfecting the pronunciation, the French, you know, the study. And she's so meticulously precise about it. And in my mind, I just saw that picture of her going there and listening to it. And I could just see her brain going like, that's not how you say that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the that's one of the biggest things as a French speaker that I had to reteach myself. I entirely had to consider it a different language. I was learning a different language because if I tried to connect the two in, in a way that maybe would make my brain think that I was right and they were not saying it correctly, I would never learn how to communicate with anyone speaking Quebecois French. And that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to fight against the status quo. I wanted to immigrate. So I wanted to be able to communicate. So thinking of it as a completely different language has definitely helped me a lot. I think that's a really interesting and fundamental and effective trick, right? It's almost like this suspension of disbelief. You know, when you walk into a movie theater or you're starting to watch a movie, like, okay, we're in space and you kind of like set yourself up for this context and then everything else flows. And that's what you've done is you've taken it at face value and you said, this is a different language and you treat it as such. It's interesting because in the conversation with Elisa, 
we talked about when she was younger and she was in, you know, in French Guyana and traveling different parts of the world. She was in Guadalupe and the Creole, like she didn't really get it. And it was very difficult for her to digest and to understand that. And I'm wondering if it's, if it had something to do with that. Like, you know, she didn't see it as a different language. Yeah, absolutely. And it also helped me a lot, primarily when I do misunderstand or if I I do ask someone to repeat myself, I'm not as hard on myself about my French level of understanding because I consider it a different language. So to me, I'm like, oh, I'm still learning the Quebecois. I need a second to help me understand what they're asking. So it's definitely been kind of not an excuse, but a way for me to be more gentle with myself as I'm learning and navigating, primarily with someone who's been living in Quebec their whole life, it can be quite a stark contrast to what someone might be expecting. What kind of French music, if any, did you grow up with that comes to mind that you're like, oh yeah, that really kind of captures those times with my parents and, you know, speaking French growing up, making the butter cookies. Is there any kind of French music that comes to mind? Oh yes. I have a distinct memory every Saturday and Sunday when it was spring cleaning or time to clean the house, I would wake up to this album. I distinctly remember the cover. It's got this drawing of a French cafe and a woman is drinking a cup of coffee and it's just kind of French jazzy cafe music and maybe some more music typically from the 80s entirely in French. So definitely very lyrical, very jazzy and upbeat. And that was always something Every weekend I would wake up to it. So obviously some of the classics like La Viajos and and some of those, but definitely more of that. I guess it would be the French equivalent of coffee house. So that was something that I can still hear right now. It was just such a staple in our house before breakfast. If you were able to go back in time and talk to a younger version of yourself, what would you tell her and at what age? Oh, Wow. Can I do multiple ones? I think I would take I think I would take some stops. I think I would I would tell middle school me to just suck it up and learn the French because the older you get, the harder it is to learn the language. And if I could just have memorized when my brain was still fully developing all the feminine masculines, my life would be so much simpler now. So I definitely think my first stop would be just telling myself that French is important. My next stop would probably be either when I first moved or right before I moved and just tell myself to be be gentle with myself because moving to a new country leads to a lot of stress that might be subconscious more than anything else. Navigating not only a new city, but new governmental regulations and new policies and just new expectations can really lead to a lot of exhaustion that you're not fully grasping. That's something that I wasn't expecting. So on top of all the university work that I had to do, just navigating living alone and living in a new country is definitely something that might have increased my cortisol levels subconsciously and might have led to more anxiety than that I really couldn't place, but was just because of the new environment. Just letting myself know that, for example, if you don't know the French language, that's okay. You didn't lose all of your French. It's just a different language. If you find yourself feeling like you are falling behind because of the government requirements for your study permit or your taxes, filling out taxes on my own. All of these things were things that I had to barrel through 
head first and just letting myself know that it's okay to be confused or to need extra assistance because it's all new. Yeah, I grew up speaking Spanish, so I knew there was like masculine, feminine nouns. And when I went to go study German in, in college, I was like, oh no, there's a neuter. It's like masculine, feminine, and neuter, right? So that kind of like... Have, I also studied German. And then you have the professional one too. There's the elevated one as well. So it's like four different conjugate, four different pronouns. It's just, it's too many. Oh, and then on top of that, not only do you have that, but then like there was this whole other dimension in German where it was like, you have the nominative, the accusative, the dative, the genitive. And I was like, I am so glad I paid attention in Latin class in high school because had I not, oh. all of this stuff would have been so foreign. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I want to change my answer. The first thing would be to learn the most difficult language first because it's hard exactly. to learn from English that has no pronoun, that no feminine masculine is something that does. <laughs> I've given this a lot of thought because I love languages and I've studied different languages. You look at something like German, Latin is like this too. They're very structured and it's like they've, they've tackled all of these specific situations and they really thought about it, you know. So there's that extreme. But English, like in the United States English, it's wild, wild west. It really you, is. <laughs> you don't have any real rules. And then you got the rules and then you break them. And there's so many broken rules that then they become normal. And then on top of that, the slang, it's... It's amazing that we can communicate it all. Oh, yeah. It's growing up with my with my dad, who was learning English kind of on the fly. He kind of just learned English through work and just being completely immersed in English 24-7. And the little things that he would ask me, like, why why is it this and not this? And why, why do we add an S here, but we don't add an S here? Or why is it when we say, oh, all those different words that sound different depending on what you're looking at here, hair, like it's just all of these, I guess, little things that I never consider because it's just natural to me led to some really funny anecdotes from my dad <laughs> that I made me definitely go, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess that is a bit weird. But to me, it just sounds weird to the ear not to say it. I have a funny story on that. I have a friend. And she's Czech. Well, I guess, I don't know if she was born in the Czech Republic. At that time, it was Czechoslovakia. I think she was. And she remembers being so mortified as a teenager. There was someone who came like a door-to-door -door salesman, and her father answered the door. And the guy was trying to sell like mowing service or pressure washing or something like that. And he said, no, 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 no. We are not interesting. That's and she's like, Dad, it's interested. We are not interested. That is what I said. We are you not interested. You could also be not interesting, too. Who knows? <laughs> that can make him go away, too. <laughs> exactly. And it's those kinds of things that you just sit there and you're like, yep, those are great immigrant stories. So much. Like, my dad, I mean, he'll never forgive me if I tell you this, but he says, do the best you can't. And so anytime before a, a huge, before I graduated, he was like, do the best you can. I think Elisa brought that one up. And then she also brought one up. <laughs> She's soccer field. Did she tell you this story? Oh, you need to focus. You need to focus. And we're all, we were all eight years old and I was mortified. I was mortified. <laughs> yeah, no, Elisa's in there. No, long O, focus. <clears throat> 
It's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) What's next, Frisia, for you? I'm actually in between. I applied to medical school and unfortunately I was rejected. So I'm at a point, interesting turning as of right now. I'm not entirely sure what I want to do, but I'm, I'm trying to see where my interests lie. I've spent so much time in academia. I haven't really considered what my interests are, what my talents are. So I'm leaning more towards the public health. I'm still with the intention of medical school, perhaps in the future. But I think I'm just going to see kind of where life takes me. I wasn't expecting to be in Montreal and now here I am. And I wasn't expecting to get a master's, yet I did. And now maybe the next stage is going to be something I'm not expecting either. With a master's degree in chemistry, Frisia finds herself exploring various paths. I remembered my conversation with Maria, who studied molecular biology and ended up doing a lot of work in genetics. I shared Maria's message to her younger self with Frisia. When I did the time machine question for her, she basically said that, because she went with the flow, she didn't know like what was next. And she's like, well, you know, whatever happens. She ended up becoming a lab technician and doing all this stuff. And in retrospect, she's like, well, maybe that's not really what was the best thing for me. <clears throat> she said that the advice she would give herself is to just really take your time and look and see what the career options are before making a decision. So anyway, for what it's worth. My friends and I were all noticing that there was such a push for university that we didn't really give it a second thought of the opportunities. We, just by taking a beat and bring out what interests us and and where we see ourselves rather than what's expected of us. And that's kind of something I'm struggling with now, just unlearning that expectation that whatever I end up doing, 100% something I'm incredibly passionate about and I spend my whole life doing and I know exactly what I want to do from the beginning. So that my own personality and my identity has changed so much in just the six years that I've been in Montreal that it's not hard to make the assumption that my interests would change as well. So I'm I really love undergrad in biochemistry. I'm still super invested in human internal medicine, but maybe there's a different aspect. Anesthesiology always needs people. And there's just so many. I can fulfill that inherent desire I have to help others with my science expertise in a bunch of different ways. I'm currently actually trying to teach a university course in chemistry. So that's another way I could There are so many options. I really just want to take a second and I'm only 24. I have the few months to just take a step back and figure out what sounds like something I want to pursue. I would say you got more than a few months. I mean, you've got enough time. I mean, now is the time to do that. And in conversations, you know, also with Pia from Norway and then Patrick from Sweden, they were both saying that in Scandinavia and in Europe in general, that a lot of people they take this opportunity, normally it's between high school and before they go to college, but even after college and then into their career, and just travel and see the world and see what's out there. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, what you go to school for may not be what you do for the rest of your life. I mean, I feel like me personally, I've had multiple careers and now look at this. It's like I'm doing this podcast, you know, and I didn't go to school for this, you know. Yeah. And and you're helping so many people. So there's so many different ways I, to, I hope so. I mean, that's the purpose of this is to is to share your story with others and have and create that inspiration for others to say, you know what, you know, maybe I can do that too, or I'm struggling with the same thing, and hear a tip from you and just kind of improve people's lives, you know, one 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 at a time. And worst case, it's fun, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I get to catch up with you. I it's know. been so long. It has been very long. 
But take your time. Frisia and I talked a little bit about opportunities within healthcare and how not all jobs in the field require med school, which led us into another related topic. The other aspect is the financial aspect. And you really have to be smart about that. You know, when I talked to Jorge, his parents helped him pay for med school in the Dominican. He doesn't have any student loan debt. He's in his residency now, and his peers have between $200,000 and $500,000 of student loan debt. It's insane. And it made me take pause because I knew I wanted to help people and I love science. So it was kind of the next logical step. But now when you think about it, not only are you in $400,000 in debt, you also have four years of no income. There's not really time to work and go to medical school at the same time. So you've really got to either be okay with having to deal with that up until you're, I know I have my friend's dad, who's an anesthesiologist, I think paid off his student loan debts when he was 50 as a practicing physician. So I really want to be sure that that's what I want to do. And it's a tall price to pay. And like you said, there are tons of other avenues that maybe aren't as publicized that perhaps could fulfill me in almost the same, if not better ways. So it takes a lot of, I think, careful planning to do it right. So for example, I've interviewed people from all over the world, and some of these are, you know, dentists, physicians, et cetera, and their credentials don't all transfer. So if you do end up going down this path in Canada, then you got to make sure either you're going to stay there or find a way that it will transfer. So you got to be very strategic about the decisions that you make. As someone who has moved around so much, my my travel bug is still very prominent in my identity. So the idea of having an employment that can transfer so that I can move to different countries and I'm not stuck per se. I've met some really amazing people in Montreal who came primarily from the Middle East who were dentists and doctors, and they were just restarting their studies because they wanted to move. So it's, it is possible, but it's a lot easier if you can have something that allows you to enter the workforce and travel and uh, have that opportunity to live in different places. Well, that does exist. And really only deal with the language barrier. Well, yeah. it does. And the thing is, is that <clears throat> you might not need to. I mean, there's Doctors Without Borders and things like that, where, again, it's not just doctors, right? It's not yeah. just nurses. It's all kinds of support staff, too, that are needed. And I think those are great opportunities because, you know, you might actually get exposure to that and actually see what they do and say, mm, you know what, maybe I don't want to do that. What else is coming to mind as you think about being raised in a different culture than where you lived and now that you're yet in another culture? What else is coming to mind that is related to this experience? Moving to a new culture makes me realize that there's a lot of aspects, both positive and negative, that really come from where I'm from. Like nature versus nurture kind of battle not battle, but uh, give and take. And and someone who's studied science for her, most of her life, that was always something that I kind of wrote off and was just like, well, you are who you are. Your genetics tell you who you are. But I have so much of who I am to think from my experiences, those cultures that I not only associate with, but are also such a big part of who I am. You don't necessarily need to have grown up in a place to really feel like it's a part of you. I really truly believe that some people, whether they have any association with certain cultures, they just fit there. 
And it's just this understanding of what you like, who you are, that just align with a certain culture's perspective or values. And it really kind of feeds your soul. And it's really, really interesting to see the different aspects based on when I move around. What I see is something that gets nurtured and grows and some things that maybe diminish a bit more. Each place where I've lived have helped me navigate and figure out what aspects are truly me and what aspects are maybe something that I've learned from where I have been. I think that that kind of learning who I am and learning that about myself has been a really interesting journey. Frustrating sometimes. Definitely requires a lot of energy, but it's something I never even considered when I was younger. I think it has a lot to do with just being in my mid-20s and reflecting on who I am, what I want. It's been really amazing and kind of sappy to be so attached to where I'm from and where I might go and how that might change who I am. Well, Frisia, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was so lovely. Listening to Frisia's journey reminds me that no matter how much I prepare for an experience, the dynamic nature of life always presents surprises. Despite having grown up surrounded by French, her move to Montreal was eye-opening. I was glad to hear that she found her transition into a different society to be full of welcoming and supportive people. I wanted to honor Frisia's current chapter in life by playing some music from Quebec. The outro music is an excerpt from La Marche des Iroquois, performed by Le Vent du Nord. So the song title is The March of the Iroquois, and it's performed by Le Vent du Nord, or The North Wind. Source, Borealis Records. I hope you enjoy it. To learn more about this show, visit www.immigrantsjourneys.fm.